over the past few weeks uh, on Sunday afternoons, we've been looking at the subject of the organization of the church. And uh, I, I know I've mentioned several times, but it, it's one of those things that needs to be uh, given some thought from time to time because it doesn't seem to really matter uh, what it is. People can't leave it alone. They have to mess with it. They have to change things, uh, do something that, in, at least in their mind, they think it makes it better. But uh, when God has told us what we're supposed to do, or when God has told us how things are supposed to be organized, then that's the way it's supposed to be. And we don't have any right to mess with things uh, at all. Now, when, when you talk about the members, you know, in, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul uh, begins the letter saying, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And that is, uh, generally speaking, the way the church is organized. Uh, we've mentioned a, a time or two how a lot of things are different depending on uh, the particular religious group that you're a part of. But that's the way God set it up, and that's the way it's supposed to be. There are a lot of people who do not consider the members to be part of the organization of the church. Uh, they have, it, it's an idea that, that uh, really started back with the Jews. Uh, in Numbers chapter 3 and in Numbers chapter 4, uh, you have instructions given on which particular families were supposed to do which particular job uh, in regards to the tabernacle, to the furniture, uh, to assisting in the worship, and all of those things. And these were all descendants of Aaron, the priest and the Levites. So you had certain people that were supposed to do certain jobs, and the, uh, the Hebrew writer over in Hebrews chapter 8 even makes an argument based on that. Because he says in verse 14 that it's, it's evident that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah and nothing was said in the law of Moses about anyone from the tribe of Judah being able to be a priest. And since nothing was said about it, it wasn't allowed. And his point is, is that since there has been a change of the priesthood of necessity, there's a change of the law. So the law is different. But his point was is that since it wasn't allowed because Jesus was not from the, the uh, correct tribe, that he could not be a priest under the law of Moses. Now, a lot of people, a lot of different religious organizations are set up where you have the, uh, the clergy on one hand, and then you have the lay members on the other hand. And essentially what it is is the clergy, those are the people that have the education, those are the people that do all of the work, the laity sit in a pew and do what they're told as long as they're dropping money in the collection plate. But they have no real responsibility to do anything. You know, they don't have jobs that they're supposed to do, uh, basically nothing. And we tend to kind of think that way a lot of the time. Uh, many of us are quite content to sit back and not do a whole lot as long as somebody else is willing to take it on and do it. Uh, and sometimes we don't think, well, you know, that, that's a job for the preacher, that's a job for the elders, or that's a job that the deacons are supposed to be doing. You know, why does anybody want me to do it? We don't think of ourselves as being a, an active part of the, uh, the organization of the church. 
but we are. You know, we don't have any biblical authority to separate the clergy from the laity. You know, we are all responsible. Uh, over in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter uh, really lays the groundwork for how this is all supposed to work. In verse 4, he says, Coming to him, to God, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says we are a spiritual priesthood. And then in uh, verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are all priests. Priests are supposed to do work uh, in the church. You, know, you look at what the priests did under the law of Moses. They officiated at the sacrifices. You know, people would bring their sacrifices. The priests would take care of the work that was to be done there, but that was part of their job. They were to attend to the tabernacle and later uh, the temple. That's what they did. And they assisted people when they were trying to offer their worship to God. And that's what all of us are supposed to do. We all have the right, the ability, to offer sacrifices to God. We're all priests. So we are part of the organization of the church. And that being the case, just like the, uh, uh, the priests under the law of Moses, we have a job to do. We have things that we are supposed to do. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 10, Paul said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says we were created for good works. That's our job. He says that we should walk in them. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a common thing throughout the New Testament, but especially in the book of Ephesians. Paul uses that word walk when he means this is how you're supposed to live your life as a practice. This is your habit. This is what you do on a daily basis. And he says we are to walk in good works. And it's not just good works, you know, good deeds that we do, uh, for people outside uh, the confines of the, uh, the church building. It's the kind of good works that we do while we're here. You know, what do we do when we come together for Bible study or for worship? We're supposed to be doing good works then as well. Over in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11, he said, And he himself gave some to be apostles, that he himself being God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Okay, God has <coughs> ordained at that time certain offices in the church. Some of the people are apostles. Some are prophets. Some are evangelists. Some are pastors or elders. And that can either be um, elders who are teachers or elders and teachers also. It can be either one, and it, it really should be both. 
But he said they, these offices are there for a reason. Now, two of them, uh, the apostles and the prophets, those are miraculous offices, and they don't, they don't exist in the church anymore. But the evangelists do. Now, an evangelist basically is just a preacher. Uh, there are some uh, groups the Church of God used to. I don't know if they still do or not. Uh, but they made a distinction between an evangelist and a preacher. A, uh, a preacher was somebody who is what we would refer to as a located preacher. He was a member of the congregation. He preached for that congregation, and that was it. An evangelist is somebody who did not locate at one congregation. He went from place to place to place preaching in all of them. And it was a false distinction. There is no such distinction in the Bible. A preacher is an evangelist, an evangelist is a preacher. But here you have uh, evangelists are set in the church. You have the pastors, the elders, and either elders who are teachers or elders in addition to teachers. But now the interesting thing about this is when most people look at this, they say that, well, you know, God has named all the people that are supposed to do all of the work in the congregation. That's not what he said. If you look at that, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? What are they supposed to do? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he's saying, you know, they are not going to be ministering and edifying. Their purpose is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and edifying. In other words, the job of the preacher and the elders uh, and the deacons and Bible class teachers, if you want to put them in there, is to equip everybody else to minister and to edify. Now, the word minister is not uh, what some people think. Then, you know, the only person they're going to call a minister is the preacher. Well, the preacher is a minister. Minister just means a servant. All Christians are servants. Uh, all of us are supposed to be ministers, and that's what he's saying. We are supposed to be equipped to be servants of the church and for the edifying of the body of Christ. To edify means to build it up, to make it better, make it stronger. And that's what we as Christians are supposed to do. And he says this is supposed to go on till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he said we're supposed to do this until it doesn't need to be done anymore. And that will never happen in our lifetime. We all have a job to do. And this is one of those things, I've run into this occasionally, not lately, but I have seen it. Uh, but there are some people uh, who seem to want to avoid doing any kind of real work in the congregation by becoming ad hoc members or at large members. Uh, I've known some uh, places. One guy said, no, he, he wasn't going to place membership. You know, he attended there, but he wasn't going to place membership there. I said, well, now how can you do that? Well, I just come down here, and I don't, I don't place membership. So, uh, um, you know, how does that work? There's nothing in the Bible about that. If you are a, uh, a, a Christian, you should be trying to work at a congregation under the oversight of the elders. 
there's no such thing as being one who just bounces from place to place to place. You don't find that anywhere in the New Testament. What you do is you look for a place where you can work, not where you can hide in the back and nobody knows you're there. I did know somebody, and I mean, he, at least he was honest about it. Uh, you had to give him that. But he said he wanted to go to a big congregation because he could go in, sit in the back, worship, and then go home, and nobody asked him to do anything. Nobody wanted anything from him. He could just come in, worship, and go home. And I thought, and if that's your attitude, then you might as well just stay home because coming in to worship like that is not going to do you any good. We're not supposed to be looking just for what we can get. We're supposed to be looking for what we can give. What can I do to help the body of Christ, the congregation of which I'm a member? How can I be a servant for the congregation? How can I build the members of the congregation up? And it's, it's not something that's terribly complicated. Uh, you know, just tell people, you know, you did a really good job with that. You know, that, that was a great job you did. Or sometimes you might have to say, well, you know, that, that may not have gone exactly the way you wanted it to do. Did you think about maybe doing this? You know, just give them some helpful advice occasionally. Everybody can use it. But we have an obligation as, as Christians to work to build up the body of Christ, the congregation to which we belong. And we don't all have to do the same thing. You know, that's one of those things that, if, if, well, if I can't do it as well as he can, I'm just not going to do it. You know, I don't want anybody to say, well, you know, yeah, okay, he, he did a decent job, but wasn't as good as so-and-so. And I got news for you. It doesn't matter how good you are at something, there's somebody out there that's better at it. And it doesn't matter. God is not keeping a, a score on, you know, are you as talented as somebody else? Do you do as well as somebody else? God is not in the least bit interested in whether I'm as good as somebody else or not. He just wants to know, are you doing what you can do? You know, the, uh, the widow and her two mites is an extremely good example of that. Jesus is sitting over by the, uh, the treasury, and he's watching all these rich people come in, and they're throwing in a bunch of money. And then you have one poor widow who has this one little copper coin. And she throws that in. And Jesus said she put in more than all of them because they put in out of their abundance. She, out of her poverty, gave everything she had. So when you look at it from a, a percentage basis, she did. She gave a lot more than they did. And Jesus, Jesus remarked on that. The fact that she was doing more than all of these rich people because, you know, they didn't miss it. It didn't really cost them anything. But we have different jobs in the same body. We are, we are all different. We all do things differently. And uh, we should worry about doing what we can do and not necessarily about what somebody else can do. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, beginning in, in uh, verse 14, Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. He did not give them anything that they were not prepared to handle. 
you know, sometimes somebody can be given more responsibility than they're really able to handle. And things oftentimes are not going to go very well if that's the case. Jesus said they're given what they can handle according to their ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For everyone who has more will be given and he who he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There'll be, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, there's some really important things in here. Uh, one thing that I, I kind of wish this one had is all, over in Luke chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 11, you have the parable of the minas, which is essentially the same thing as this, uh, except one thing. It says that the master gave them money and said, do business until I come. He said, I'm giving you the money. I'm giving you the resources to do this. Now go out and do it until I come back. And that is essentially what we are supposed to do. Do what we can with the abilities that we have. But in verse 25, I think it's noteworthy uh, that the one talent man said, I was afraid. I was afraid. I knew you were a hard man. And if I went and messed up, you know, I was going to lose your money. And I didn't want to do that. I was just really, really afraid to do that. So I just hit it. I didn't do anything with it. I didn't lose it, but I didn't gain by it. And because of that, he was called wicked. Now, lazy, we can see that. He didn't do anything. He's lazy. But why is he called wicked? You know, most people would say, well, he may not have done anything good, but he didn't really do anything bad either. Yes, he did. He was supposed to use what he was given and do the best job that he could. And he did nothing. And the same thing applies to us. You know, we have, we have resources, whether you're talking about physical abilities, whether you're talking about uh, money or time or whatever, we have things 
that can be used in, in, in the service of God and the church to help either minister or to build up people. We have things we can use. And it doesn't matter, you know, I don't do as much as somebody else. God doesn't care. But he wants me to do what I can, however much or little that might be. Because he's not going to judge me by what you've done. He just is going to judge me by what I've done. And that's why the man was called wicked. But he was afraid. And that, I think, is one of the really big things. More good works have failed because people were afraid to start them than ever failed because somebody opposed them. You know, we think, well, we're, we're going to go and do this. Whether you're talking about it as a congregation or individuals or what have you, you know, we're going to go do some kind of a good work. Possibly somebody will oppose you when you do it. And you might even fail in the attempt because of it. But at least you went and tried to do what you could. But people who are afraid never do anything. And then they don't know, would this have worked or not? Would we have succeeded or not? We don't know. We were afraid to try. And that will cause more works to fail than any other factor that you can think of. Just being afraid that you might fail. You know, if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have to remember that the, in the, uh, uh, the context there, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, miraculous gifts. Uh, he started that earlier, and he, he's trying to explain to these people that, uh, you know, one, having one miraculous gift does not make you better than somebody else that has a different one. Uh, but the, the principle is applicable to us because we have talents that we were born with or that we have acquired uh, through time. But he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. We are all members of the same body and we should have the same concern for the body. Uh, is the body healthy? Is there something I can do for it to make it better, to make it healthier or stronger? We ought to think that way. Don't be too, in, uh, too concerned with ourselves. But he goes on. He says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? <clears throat> you don't have the same uh, function as someone else or the same talents as someone else, can you say that you no longer belong to the body? He says, no, if you're a Christian, you're still there. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. There is a reason that we are what we are. Whatever that may be, there's a reason for it, and there's some way that we can use whatever talents we have for the benefit of the congregation and the body of Christ as a whole. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, 
I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. He's saying, look, you, you may think you don't do much. Or other people may think you don't do much. But as long as you're doing what you can, you are necessary to the health of the body. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body or no division, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. He said, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. We are all part of the same body regardless of whatever our, our, our function may be in the church. We have things that we can do. We have things that we must do. And if you go through, you don't have to go very far through the New Testament to find that, that there are a lot of things that we as individual members are supposed to do. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's not talking to the elders here Ex uh, explicitly. He's not talking to the preacher or to the deacons. He's talking to everybody. He says, brethren, if you know that somebody is, is overtaken in a trespass, restore them. Go and talk to them. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. You know, one of the worst things that you can possibly do when you're trying to instruct somebody is stick your finger under their nose and tell them you're going to fix them. Because there are some people that are really stubborn about that kind of thing, and they say, oh, you think so. Well, boy, have you got something to learn. No, you're not. You know, you do it out of concern. You do it out of, out of love for the person's soul, and you try to bring them back. Don't try to lecture them. But he says we need to be uh, aware of ourselves, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. There may come a time when you need them to come talk to you. And we need to remember that. But we have an obligation to do these things. And in verse 10, he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There is a priority of service. You know, we don't, have, we don't have the resources to help everybody in the world. There's just no possible way we can do it. And he says if you have people, you have people that are not Christians and some that are, who have the same need, and you have the resources to help one, you help the one that's Christian. Because he says especially those that are of the household of faith. But when you have opportunity, you do good to everybody, regardless of who they might be. We have that obligation in the sight of God. Now, over in Colossians chapter 3, uh, the Apostle Paul in uh, chapter 3, verse 12, says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, 
and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another even as Christ forgave you so you also must do we have to be as much like Christ as we possibly can be that's what he tells us to do and he goes on in verse 14 but above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection when he says the bond of perfection what he's talking about is he's talking about the rope that ties everything together you know you, you can take all of the different uh, Christian qualities or graces and you can put them all together in a pile but you got to have something that holds them together and love is what does that it is the bond of perfection and it's the one of those things that is going to help us more than just about anything else because as Paul said love does no harm to a neighbor over in first Thessalonians chapter 5 he says in verse 12 and we urge you brethren to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and he's talking about uh, uh, respecting elders and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake be at peace among yourselves now we exhort you brethren warn those who are unruly most of the time when somebody thinks about church discipline the first thing that pops into their head is the elders coming before the congregation and saying you know we have this person they're guilty of public sin we have talked to them uh, they have shown absolutely no uh, intention to repent of that and return and because of that uh, hopefully if we withdraw fellowship from them they'll repent and that's the purpose of it uh, the purpose of withdrawal of fellowship is not to say you know we just don't want to have anything to do with you anymore the purpose of it is to say you have done something that's very very wrong and until you correct that as much as we hate it we cannot allow you to be a part of this family anymore but that's the last thing you do it starts a lot sooner than that we exhort you brethren warn those who are unruly he's again not talking to elders he's not talking to the preacher he's not talking to the deacons he's talking to everybody if there is someone that's doing something that they shouldn't or they're not doing something that they should we have a responsibility to talk to them and again you don't want to go and lecture them you want to say look I love you and I'm concerned you know we need to fix this if we can but he says you warn the unruly you comfort the faint-hearted uphold the weak and be patient with all be patient with everybody do whatever is good for whoever you can because that's what the body should do you know the body should have have concern for itself if the hand is not concerned because uh, the foot is diseased you know pretty soon it can spread through the whole body and then the whole body dies but we should be concerned for other members of the body because he expects us to be that way I mean it's just a, a, a normal rational reasonable response you know we're family we're supposed to be concerned for each other you know and do the best that we can are we going to be perfect no we're never going to make it as hard as we try we will not but we do need to try so again when you think about the organization of the church most people think about it in terms of well you know you've got a preacher you've got elders you've got deacons and that's that and that's not that we also have members the members of the body have have jobs that they are supposed to do 
just like everybody else. The preacher has a job he's supposed to do as a preacher, but also as a member of the body. The elders have a job they're supposed to do as elders of the congregation, but also as members of the body, and the deacons likewise. We are all supposed to be concerned and, and try to help each other grow to the best of our ability. Because that's what God expects us to do. It may be that there's someone here this evening who's not a Christian. If that be the case, you could come forward this evening confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. Maybe you're an erring child of God. You've done something that has moved you away from God and you want to come back. Well, you can do that. You can go uh, to God in prayer, confess the sin to him from a repentant heart, and ask him to forgive you, and he's promised to do that. Or it may be that you just want to come forward and ask for the prayers of those saints that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever you need is, we ask that you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.